Hey, ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, episode 183. As always, I'm joined by Dom. Mm, 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 mm. Low groans. <laughs> uh, we didn't have an episode last week uh, due to some complications with everything going on right now in the world. It's fine. We're back this week. Um, yeah, just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us, you and I. Uh, <laughs> oh. There, In terms of news we missed last week, there was the Epic Games publishing stuff. Uh, which is pretty interesting. They partnered with uh, Play Dead. Uh, dang, why is the name escaping me? Play Dead, Remedy, and I can't think of the third developer off the top of my head. Oh, uh, Gen Games or something like that. The people who developed uh, The Last Guardian partnered with them to make uh, new games. Uh, there was some information in there, nothing too crazy. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was kind of a slow news week. This week, on the other hand, got quite a bit to talk about. We'll start off with uh, the rundown of the new, like, quickie news stuff. First up, um, Cellar Door Games, who that name might not sound familiar to you, but they were the developers of Rogue Legacy, which is a roguelike that kind of caught fire back when it released. Uh, it initially released in 2013. I don't remember the year it got ported over to consoles, specifically PS4 is where it kind of had its day in the sun. Um, and Vita, man, that's where it really thrived. Yeah. Uh, they announced Rogue Legacy 2, the sequel. Uh, no date given. Uh, they showed off the art style. It's a little bit similar to the original. Obviously tweaked a little bit. Um, I didn't know this game was also on Xbox One, so I'll give props to Sony for marketing in a way <laughs> and the influencers. Yeah, so when I was looking up this stuff, I was like, Rogue Legacy is on Xbox One. I did not know that. Um, so I actually have it on my wish list now of games I might end up getting to during these quarantine times because I've heard so much about it uh, in terms of it being such a solid roguelike. Man, that's funny because I had the opposite thing happen where, <clears throat> so we'll get to it, but I've been playing Control and then I remember thinking like, oh, I really like this. And like, what was that last game they made? Oh, Quantum Break. And I just assumed it was on PS4. It's not. <laughs> oh, Quantum Break? Yeah. yeah. Xbox exclusive. <laughs> yeah. As Jordan and I have touted on this podcast quite a bit, a lot better than it gets credit for. I'm not saying it's a 10 by any means, but I would say it's at least a solid 8. Uh, the TV stuff isn't great, um, but the rest of the game is really good. Remedy is just a really good developer, and like you said, we'll talk about your experiences with Control later on. Obviously, I have wax poetic about that game, um, so I can't wait to hear your opinions on it. Uh, that wasn't the only game announcement we had this week, though. Um Cold Symmetry, who's a brand new studio, announced their first game. And this came out of nowhere. And I don't know if you've seen this trailer, Dom, but you should because it's a definitely a me and you game. So it's a Souls-like action RPG called Mortal Shell. Uh, first off, really cool name for a Souls-like. Mortal Shell is a dope name. Uh, it's releasing Q3 of this year, 2020. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> we'll get into some news in a bit that you, you never know with the release dates. But it looks really cool. It's a third-person action RPG. It's in a fantasy world. It it definitely gives me, for better or worse, um, dang, what's the name of this the the Dark Souls like ripoff game? I hate to say ripoff, but uh, Lords of the Fallen. It kind of gives me Lords of the Fallen vibe, but a lot darker, a lot more gothic inspired. Um, it, it looks interesting. I I. Some of the gameplay they showed looks promising. The problem with Souls likes is like a lot of them try to ape 
the combat feel of from software no one can do that right you know jedi fallen order got close but that's uh you know a triple a studio with a high quality benchmark that focused on that and they still weren't really able to match that so a new indie studio i'm cautiously hopeful that at least hits a certain bar and there's a lot of things going into this like what price does this game ship at right is it a 60 dollars game is it a 40 dollars game is the combat really solid is it okay but the world feel makes up for it uh either way the um reveal trailer of the game i think did a good job of selling that game to a certain audience me being that type of person so as the year goes on and we see more, I'm interested to see if me and you get more interested or less interested the more we see. But in terms of a reveal, I think it looks dope. I don't know if you, in the time of me speaking, had a chance to check out any of it. Yep, I'm like halfway through the trailer right now. Okay. <laughs> what do you think so far? Uh, am um, I right about what I've been saying? Yeah, definitely. And actually, it, I'm all the way done with the trailer now. It looks, um, it does that thing that some trailers do where it's gameplay, but it's like really short cuts of gameplay. Like, yeah. Um, like just two or three seconds at most at a time. So you can't really get a feel for it, but you can see what they're going for within it. Um, so long as it, you know, works, um, then we'll see. That's, yeah, that's the more he- the hesitation. But as far as like the vibe and the art style and stuff, yeah, it looks like a, even a little, like, like the original Dark Souls, like kind of really gothic and dark looking and um, th- that kind of aesthetic. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. And then, all, but yeah, also same thing as like, What's like the the budget on this, and yeah, what what's the price going to be? What kind of game? Um, you know, we don't like. I, I, we always say we hate doing it, but like, is this a triple A game or a double A game or whatever? But yeah, like, and that sets expectations too, right? Because if you come in and your your the quality of your combat is acceptable, but you're asking for sixty dollars, it's like, well, as somebody who loves the From games, how am I going to justify that? But if you come in like at a forty dollar price point. That's a little bit more manageable, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how they position this. It's a new studio. Uh, I don't remember the name of the publisher, but it isn't one of the big publishers. It's a smaller publisher as well. And because of the current situation we're in, if this is a digital game that doesn't really get a physical release, I think it could stick that landing of Q3 2020 without an issue. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where it lands. No partnership on the trailer. I wonder if either of Sony or uh, Microsoft, if once we get to see more, if they decide to snag this and attach it right um, as something that they brand um, in their, you know, ID at Xbox or PlayStation's indie program as well. So we'll see what happens there. In uh, less exciting news, as I like to call it, Randy Pitchford is a trash human news because uh, oh, we've covered Randy P- Randy Pitchford numerous times on the show about how vile he is as a human. Um, and once again, this doesn't reflect on the Gearbox team and the work they do with Borderlands. They're obviously they're separate from this in terms of being trash. So basically, Gearbox and Randy Pitchford specifically promised bonuses to the Gearbox employees who are paid below market wages. And the way they make up for that is it's kind of like based on the revenue, they get paid incentives on the back end um, between five and six figures. And there were promises last year before the release of Borderlands 3 as they were crunching to finish that game and get it gold. And, you know, when you're promised something like that from your job, you kind of start planning based on that. Um, And Randy Pitchford basically came out and said uh, recently that that would no longer be happening, that no one's getting a bonus. And he also stated on top of that that if anybody was unhappy with this decision, uh, they were welcome to quit. So basically, 
saying, hey, if you're unhappy with us breaking a promise we made to you guys, you can quit, which is very odd. Uh, this is also coming on the back end of, you know, Randy Pitchford being accused of stealing money from the company, also receiving a bonus of like $12 million, I believe. Um, so not a very good look. Uh, it sucks for the people at Gearbox Software because, uh, yeah, if you're promised something like that and, you know, you especially in the current situation we're in, it's kind of expanded tenfold, right? Because people are worried about their jobs. We're likely going to hit an economic crisis of some sort and a recession and money is tighter than ever. So yeah, just it's bad, especially the line of like, hey, if you're unhappy, quit. It's like, well, yeah, I'm unhappy. You lied, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And hopefully um, the, the assholes of uh, the industry start to like fucking realize that, oh, what I say is, is going to get reported on. And there's there's leaks coming from everyone, right? So like th this news getting out is at least a good is a silver lining. And then all the recent uh, reports on like how bad crunch can get at places, like uh, the fact that all that's coming out, like hopefully the assholes of the world are like taking notice. Like, oh, okay, we need to like behave, quite frankly, be decent human beings because otherwise it's going to come back around finally. Um, but yeah, that's an especially bad look when he still apparently did get a bonus himself. Um, like, because obviously there's a lot going on and apparently there was some, there was, the game cost them more to, to make than they anticipated when they promised these bonuses. Because of his decisions he made, specifically Randy Pitchford. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so because he made a poor decision that ended up costing things so much, um, which he could have, he would have known probably months or, you know, long ago that the cost and what was going to be needed in sales to you know make up for that. So like this, this couldn't have been new, like revelatory information that like, Oh, all of a sudden now he has yeah. to tell them because he just found out. No, he, he must have known for a long time that this was inevitable uh, based on, yeah, those managerial decisions. So like, there's just a lot wrong with this and that, and that sucks. Cause um, not only does, like you mentioned when you're promised certain bonuses, um, and then you're looking at, you know, the sales projection for your game. So it all makes sense. Like you, you might start planning um, your, your budget around that. But then additionally, like you're you're incentivized to work uh, a, a certain way with, with that carrot on the stick in front of you. Right. Um, yep. But apparently, at least for part or maybe most of that time where he was incentivizing everyone, he knew that there was never going to be a fucking bonus. And he was pulling a, a, a Kevin Spacey from like horrible bosses like dangling promotions in front of people that weren't really there um, just to get them to work 70 hours a week. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's super vile, man. I don't, it kind of makes me well, nauseous to be honest. And the difference too there with, you you mentioned the, the, the crunch culture, right, is like, and we'll get into this later when we talk about Naughty Duck specifically, but Neil Druckmann, from everything we've seen, he seems like a, just a, a regular stand-up guy, right? And the problems at Naughty Dog seem to be one of culture and unhealthy obsession with perfectionism. And I wouldn't nail that down specifically to Neil Druckmann, right? With Randy Pitchford, he has shown a continuous lapse in judgment. And yeah. just uh, there have been multiple stories about this dude just being like the worst. You know what I mean? And I like to try to give people the benefit of the doubt because humans are flawed and we make mistakes. But this guy just continuously shows that he doesn't. 
he doesn't have people's best interests at heart, and he honestly probably doesn't care. Uh, even going back to the fact that he lost a hard drive with valuable information on it at, uh, uh, not a Ren Fair, it was like one of those medieval nights where you go and eat and watch horses or whatever. Um, it just shows that he kind of is outside of his realm of being able to handle it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just, it sucks for the people working there because they were incentivized and they kind of got the rug pulled out from underneath them, even though, like you said, he's known about this forever, you know? So, yeah. That's our closing segment for Randy Pitchford is a trash human news. Hopefully, we don't have to do this new segment again, but given his track record, it'll probably be... come up. Yeah, don't count on it, man. It's going to happen again. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, Pete Hines of Bethesda, one of my favorite people in the industry. Uh, I-, I like Pete Hines quite a bit. Um he obviously handles PR and marketing for Bethesda, kind of their face when it comes to social media and, you know, podcasting presence and stuff. Uh, he tweeted out, given the many challenges we're facing due to the pandemic, we will not host a digital showcase in June. We have lots of exciting things to share about our games and look forward to telling you more in the coming months. So this is basically telling us when, you know, Ether was canceled, we were assuming like, oh, was the ESA going to kind of bring everybody together to kind of do a digital E3, what's going to happen there? And it still might be the case for other publishers and companies, but for Bethesda's sake, they're not doing that. And I see people reporting this and talking about like, oh, there's not going to be a, you know, a digital press conference for Bethesda. How does that, how, how are we going to see their games? I would put a bet on that they're, they had stuff that's still ready to go in terms of assets, but they didn't have enough in order to, because of how workplace cultures change with everyone working from home, that they don't have a good timeline to get everything together for the showcase they do, right? And I do think that we will see the stuff that they have had done, whether that be their own individual announcement. But I would also put money on the fact that, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Bethesda was like, yo, Microsoft, we're probably not doing a thing. We know that you guys are probably much more stable in terms of getting this together. We have something we want to show, but it's not enough for our own conference. Can we put it in your showcase? Because we've seen such a strong, close working relationship between those two. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Bethesda thing during Microsoft's digital thing, right? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but given all the situation, I, I, this doesn't surprise me. Even when you look at Bethesda's conferences, they're, they have a lot of stuff me and you care about, uh, but there is a lot of like Elder Scrolls Online or like this or that that people don't really care about a whole lot on top of the fact that they're still trying to get Fallout 76 in a place where it's more beloved. Delaying the Wastelanders update didn't really do justice for that. Um, Man, and that one specifically, they delayed it by a week which is like, you know, and they said something. We got to, you know, iron out some extra bugs. And obviously they have a, a reputation for releasing stuff that's buggy. So, like, when they delay something, it's like, ooh, they must have really needed it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I do think that they're in a place, much like Bioware, where if they have the opportunity to take a break from the public eye, I think they are more than willing to do that. And I'm not saying that, like, oh, you know, uh the coronavirus and COVID-19 is like a happy accident for them. They're like, oh, yes, we finally get to do this. But I do think when they're sitting there thinking about what they can do, they probably put everything in equal baskets of figuring out, well, what works best for us? And it's like, well, if Microsoft is doing something and we don't have a whole lot to show, why not we, you know, and this is just me assuming, obviously, we don't even know if they're going to be part of the Microsoft thing. But 
I would rather just get the stuff we know is ready, the vertical slices, the assets, the trailers that we already have done, and get ready for those to be shown during the year. Everything else, take it as it comes, right? And plan on it not being ready, but if it is, cool, right? So I, I think this is smart, getting ahead of it. Uh, they're the first big ball to drop in terms of people not doing a replacement. We, we've we heard from Ubisoft and Microsoft, and I don't know if EA made an official announcement regarding E3 specifically. Um, they made a, an announcement, obviously, about their own company structure with uh, working from home. But I do you think we'll see other publishers say we're absolutely not doing anything, or do you think Bethesda is just the one that's in like a weird situation? Yeah, I think I think we'll probably see more. It's, but it, it feels like the whole thing is kind of arbitrary, right? Because you were they were going to be able to pick the specific date they were going to do it anyway. Um, you know, unless they were trying to fall in line with something the ESA right was trying to coordinate, but which would, there's not really a reason they would have to do that, right? They could have like done it in July, right, or or in May, whatever or- they wanted, right. Oh, to your point too, maybe they're not doing a whole like press conference thing, but maybe they have four or five announcements spread across four or five months, right? They could do that too. Right. That's yeah. That's what I was actually thinking was like, well, maybe they're just gonna put like have kind of like their own create their own hype cycles or whatever. Like, you know, during June they're gonna do some weird cryptic cryptic type tweets or whatever that lead up to like a big old trailer and info drop on you know Starfield Ghost or Wire. something. Yeah, on Ghostwire Tokyo or one of their games, right, or something like that, and then something else the following month, or you know, like they could do that too. I mean, basically, there's no when you when you when you switch everything to like, oh, it's all digital now. Right? There's no stage show. It's like, well, you, you cut off a lot of possibilities, right, of having a big conference on a stage, but you also kind of like open up your your you don't have any limits digitally with what you might want to do anymore. So yeah, maybe they just like are changing the strategy entirely. So something like that. I don't know. So I want to hear from you. My bet is out, out of all their games that they have that they've announced that we know about uh, that haven't released yet, right? I think my money would be on the most likely game to see would be Starfield at Microsoft Show. Like if I'm placing a bet on any of them. What do you think? Do you think it's more likely we see like Ghostwire Tokyo? Do you think it's more likely we see Starfield? What's your your bet on? I think the safer bet is uh, is like Ghostwire. Um, Real, you have to one, remember the creative producer left last year. Remember, they fired the the Japanese woman that went on stage and caught the world by her? storm. Yeah, she's gone. Oh, she went on that I whole parade of going to other studios. Okay, I shouldn't have said they fired her. They split. I don't think she left either. It was like an amicable oh, okay. <laughs> firing. Is we don't really know. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, but okay. she left the project. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying the game's in trouble but to me it's like well if a creative director is leaving that to me is like oh i wonder if the timeline shifts a little bit right we also had what was the other one death loop that's the other one yeah yeah and neither of them showed gameplay right they were both cinematic starfield was a logo the only reason and i know that seems like the farthest behind but that's also bethesda game studios major that's like they're all all focused on that right and for microsoft they want to show the future of next gen and you know bethesda themselves want people to get excited about next gen that's why my assumption is if there's anything we're seeing it's starfield as a showpiece for next gen even if it is a very brief cinematic trailer that they say is in engine i do think that's a get microsoft wants like if but that's oh, yeah. like yo 
what would you like most from us to be able to present as an asset for your presentation? And they're like, Starfield would probably be dope. Obviously, they wouldn't talk like that. Maybe Phil would. I don't know. Uh, so you think Ghostwire, though, for sure? Well, yeah, and the reason I say that, so uh, Pete Hines was on um, one of the kind of funny shows uh, a few weeks ago. And we have cool friends, I believe. Yeah, and uh, and Greg asked him about that game specifically, and he responded kind of cheekily, like, we ha- we'll have something cool that you're going to like soon. Yeah. Basically, like, yeah, we're going to have a sweet E3 trailer. Like, So at that point, that was planned, you know? I think without a doubt, you could, we can come to that conclusion. So to me, like, I, I would bet that even though obviously they're not doing their showcase then, but they're going to want to do something with that game uh, to market it this year. Whereas the, the yeah, the argument for Starfield is mostly what you were saying, where um, someone like Microsoft being like, and we want to make this a thing, like, let's get together. Let's, let's make Starfield and Xbox Series X, like, you know, a, a good couple here. And like, let's relate those and, It'll, it'll be all hype and you know that kind of thing because i do think that uh starfield is a game that bethesda wants you know on the biggest stage possible right like, oh yeah that's gonna they want that like front and center they don't want to put that out and, and what like what i had described about um a couple tweets and just dropping a trailer i think they want that to be a big you know tentpole yeah exactly e3 type showing um but yeah yeah it's it's gonna be interesting to see how it all plays out but I, if I were to put a bet on anything, I would say we do see Bethesda with Microsoft during their presentation. What game that is or in what form, who knows, right? It might just be an, another update to Fallout 76, but I, I would put money on them showing up there because their working relationship is so storied. You know what I mean? We saw Fallout 4 revealed there. We saw Fallout 76 revealed there, on and on and on. I would be interested to see, too, where Bethesda stands on trying to have the world see the next Wolfenstein because the spinoff did not go over well right after two great uh revitalizations of that franchise by machine games the spinoff that everyone is kind of excited for didn't really do well the vr title came out to like meh like it didn't it didn't do bad but it just kind of didn't catch the world on fire but i totally even, forgot about that but remember with the vr like half-life alex is getting tens right now and it's still kind of meh it's just the way vr is is that like it's not accessible to so many people where it can become that water cooler conversation right so We'll see what happens there. Uh, next up, uh, this is something I'm really excited about. Multiple outlets are reporting that Nintendo is planning to celebrate Mario's 35th anniversary in a big way with classic ports of all of the Nintendo catalog as well as remakes of 3D Mario titles, Super Mario 64, Sunshine, Galaxy 1 and 2, and 3D World, and a brand new Paper Mario that they say is more akin to the 64 and GameCube versions of that franchise. Uh, which hardcore fans are really excited about because those are the entries that were more focused on the RPG elements, whereas the latest entry kind of lost its way when it came to what the series stood for. Uh, I guess I'll start for me. A remake of Super Mario 64, one of my favorite games of all time, would be astounding. It's kind of at the point now where I'm taking this as fact and not just rumor because so many outlets have reported on this, like so many. Mm -hmm. It's corroborated by so many sources. I'm. I guess the big question here isn't. Well, I guess first, which one are you most excited for out of all of these? I think I'm with you on 64 because that um, that's a big one for me. That's like the first game I ever played, just ever, right? Yeah. Um, and I and I absolutely adored it. Um, it. It's an N64 game and it's old, and it it would not be cool to go back and play the original now. So like a remake of that would just be 
phenomenal. Just you know, adding some better visuals, like we were talking about, and uh, definitely some better controls, camera controls. Like in the Odyssey and so engine, on. oh, mm, Chef's mm-hmm. Kiss, so good. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, I never played Sunshine, and I know that's kind of the one, the three D Mario that some people are like, I don't know about this one, guys. But the black I'd be sheep. Curious. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but I'd still be really curious to give that a try too. And then um, never played Galaxy, so that's the obvious like you know everyone loves that like that's like top five on metacritic of all time type of game right so that would be one that i definitely be willing to try so like I, well i have the most personal connection to 64 um i'm pretty pumped on all these except for 3d world i'm kind of ambivalent to that so, yeah cool yeah it's just not the type of 3d mario game i want so i'm kind of not yeah. really interested in that yeah. galaxy one and two i never played but they are games that i wanted to play i'm super mm-hmm. stoked for them Sunshine is a game I actually had the opportunity to play back when it released uh, on my friend's GameCube, and it just doesn't gel with me personally. And it was interesting to see so many people be like, yeah, it's not the best of the 3D Marios, and I really don't have like an inkling to go back and play it. That being said, if the remaster looks gorgeous, and this is the second part I want to get to after I mention this about Paper Mario. Paper Mario is another series that, like Galaxy, I've heard great things about and I want to get into, so a Switch version of that would be dope. Yeah. Um, with Sunshine, I, I don't know if I'd buy it if it was released individually, but we don't know how these games are going to be packaged. Obviously, Paper Mario will be its own release. Duh, it's a new game. But in terms of all these other games, are they going to all be packages like the Mario Anniversary Collection? That would be great. Knowing Nintendo's track record, though, uh, it's probably more likely that they release them individually, but who knows? Um my assumption would be that they'd put the games, they'd put Galaxy 1 and 2 with Sunshine because Galaxy 1 and 2 are beloved and Sunshine is like meh, right? And then I think they'd put Super Mario 64 with 3D World because I think out of all of these 3D World, it would sell the least individually out of all of them. Um, and Super Mario 64 is going to sell like hotcakes, right? So pairing those two together, kind of putting the games that everyone wants with the game that is not going to sell as well. You know what I mean? That's the only idea i have in terms of them not putting them individually because i do think that nintendo might be worried that some of these other lesser titles releasing at the same point will get cannibalized by the mario games people want to play you know man there's so much crazy because the the rumors are so credible like you said but it's just so crazy because to me there's just no chance that these aren't sold individually that's like we we (laughs) had a conversation last year that like he remade Link's Awakening and sold it for 60 bucks. And I was like, it should be like 40. Yet I bought it and a whole shit ton of other people still bought it. So Me like, included. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they could, without a question, sell these each individually for $60 and make a killing. Um, but the part that argues against that is the rumor also says that all of these are coming in 2020. Yeah. Which is just, that's just too much. I mean, like you said, they would cannibalize each other. Um, it would make more sense if they were all going to come this year, if they were packaged. Like, yeah, the older ones all came together and then 3D World was its own or whatever combination, right? It would make more yeah. sense if they're all going to release in this year. Um, so I, I can't, I, I don't know which, which way I think that goes, but um, I, I'm excited though. The, 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 day, the one thing we know for sure is we're buying them. So yeah. whether <laughs> exactly. that's one purchase or step purchases, we're going to get screwed by Nintendo and we'll be smiling every bit mm-hmm. of the way. Yeah. Uh, so we know those games are coming in 2020, allegedly. Um, the Obviously, with the current situation, the release date is the one thing I'm iffy on of, like, that was their plan. But but then again, it's the 35th anniversary. So, like, I think worst case, if they had to bump anything, it'd be Paper Mario, right? But they'd still try to get these remasters out because 
they're celebrating the legacy, whereas Paper Mario is a new game, right? Who knows? But we do got a delay, unfortunately. Two delays. PlayStation announced uh, that Last of Us Part 2 and Iron Man VR have been delayed indefinitely due to complications related to the COVID-19 pandemic. I wanted to read here real quick so people are like, oh, well, they're having more issues with development because of working from home. It's actually not that. Uh, Jason Trier clarified on his Twitter. He said, The Last of Us 2 was on track for May, multiple devs say. The primary reason for the delay is the challenge of printing, shipping, and selling physical games right now. Going remote has not stopped those still working on the game, such as QA, from crunching. Hopefully this delay helps. So, it seems like Sony just wants to release this game in the best possible situation where they can get the sales they desire from this game. This game has a huge budget, probably one of the biggest budgets for Sony on the PlayStation mm-hmm. 4, if not ever. And it's not a they they could ship this game day and date digital, right? According to Jason, they're done with development or at least close to finish on track for May. They could release it digitally, get a good number of sales, screw over their retail partners, but then there's an argument of like who cares, yada yada yada. But even then, they wouldn't see the number of sales if this released both physical and digital. Because you have to remember, digital, best case scenario, accounts for 51% of sales usually, right, of games. Mm-hmm. And that's best case scenario. Um, so, it, yeah, with everything having issues with shipping and manufacturing and printing the discs, like, it makes sense. I'm actually happy that they did indefinitely because... Uh, we don't know like it'd be dumb for them to put another date and then move it again right yeah iron man vr strange because i don't know if that would hurt as much from going just digital release because it's vr then again like people have mentioned it is iron man it's like one of the most iron man is almost at the level i wouldn't say he's at the level of batman or superman or hulk but because approaching that though because of the mcu it's a reach that right um And, yeah, they probably just want to be able to market and sell this thing like crazy because they want to be able to move those PSVR units, right? So it's it sucks. It's one of those things. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, Dom. I'm disappointed and sad, but I'm completely – like I completely understand, right? It's like I can, I'm completely get why this happened. Totally understandable. Doesn't mean I can't be bummed, right? That's a weird yeah. like line to walk of like – Obviously, don't be hateful because they did this or, you know, like I understand why they did it, but it doesn't mean I can't be a little bummed that I don't get to play this game as soon as I want to. It's like a weird middle line. Yeah, and then it then it begs the question of, well, at this point, should I just kind of plan on waiting and playing this on PS5? You know, where it's where we assume it's going to get, you know, kind of a, an upgrade patch, you know, or at least a higher, uh, you know, uh, frame rate or resolution type of deal. Um, yeah. So uh, we'll see how how long this delay is. I can't imagine it like is going to get delayed that long. Um, I'm at you know probably instead of May, you're looking at July. I would bet. So. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is people are wondering why Ghost of Tsushima was also delayed because that comes out a month and a couple of days after uh, Last of Us Part Two's initial date, right? Well, I guess not initial because it was already delayed once. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that it's. By this time next month, if May 1st comes around and we're still in the same situation, I think they put out the same tweet, right, of like, it's unfortunate, but we're going to have to delay Ghost of Tsushima indefinitely. Um, but I'm with you. I think they're, these delays will be as minimal as possible, right? So they're going to try to work out as soon as they can get these out there. Um, yeah, and at this point, it's like, 
if you're PlayStation, do you kind of save this and have it be a, a, a dual release for both PS4 and PS5 at the launch of your console, kind of like Breath of the Wild was? And Man. how Halo Infinite is going to be, right? So you obviously would be sacrificing, you know, all the sales you would get in the next couple of months if you wait for PS5, right? Um, which is a big deal. That's a lot of money, like now, because money now is, is more valuable than the same amount of money later, right? Um, but the effect that that would have on the success, like the long-term success of PS5, because like you said, we saw with Breath of the Wild, like if the Switch didn't have Breath of the Wild at launch, you know i mean that's try to picture that reality i don't think that the switch sells i mean maybe half as much as it has at this point in its life if it didn't have breath of the wild at launch because that was that was a big deal um and that really propelled that system forward and got it out there to everybody and then from there it started to get its own legs and do its own thing and show everyone it. it is also a cool system too but that game breath of the wild like is what really made that system succeed long term in my opinion um, well and the big so, question yeah. right is like with sony was their plan like what was their plan to eventually get this like running optimally on ps5 right is it something that they kind of put on the back burner because they wanted to focus this as a ps4 game so if they move it they still want it to be as minimal as possible because they don't want it to brush up with the ps5 because that isn't their plan right or do the, was that their plan all along to get this optimal at launch, no matter when this release, even if it released in May initially? I, I think that's going to... It's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out because from what we've heard, the reason Sony's been hush-hush on some stuff is because they kind of wanted to focus on getting these last two major PS4 releases out before they hit the gas pedal full throttle and show us PS5, right? With everything that's going on, how does that change that? Do you kind of re fix your 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 packages of announcements and be like lasso's part two you know cross gen release title like who knows but yeah I'm, I'm with you i think more likely july august uh than a november alongside the console right yeah it's kind of a, it's a weird situation and ultimately it's a it's a good problem to have um of like oh crap we have this awesome game that everyone's going to freaking love and it's going to sell gangbusters but we just don't know quite exactly how and where to sell it and where to what to put behind it right um yeah. it's obviously a better problem than like we're this doesn't sound bad and fanboyish but like on the other side right now microsoft kind of doesn't have you know anything close to comparable as far as first party games this year so they're kind of all in on like well we're just gonna like our next console is fucking sweet so they're kind of all in on showing everybody that where playstation maybe is seems like they're kind of like yeah last of us guys like we'll get to ps5 we'll get there but right now it's the last of us and ghost of shishima right so yeah i mean and to your point like they do have microsoft still has first party titles coming out in the next couple of months obviously not to the level of ghost of tsushima and and last of us part two that are like the quadruple a you know what i mean um and to that point i want to talk about real quick so last of us part two got delayed iron man vr uh for Microsoft, Gears Tactics, Minecraft Dungeons, and uh, Wasteland 3 all got delayed as well uh, and had announcements of them getting delayed. Okay. And so 
one, one thing I wanted to bring up is Jason Schreier tweeted out, and it's funny, this is literally like minutes before PlayStation's tweet. He tweeted out, not the most important thing in the world right now, but it won't be too much longer before the COVID-19 video game delays start. Games that are planned for this month and maybe April should be fine, but after that, all bets are off. He then quote tweeted that, put bookmark this tweet, and I kid you not, dumb, I scrolled up to Twitter, it refreshed, and the PlayStation tweet was there. Man, um, let me tell you, I'm fully convinced. I'm fully convinced that Jason Schreier is actually like 30 different people and he actually works for all these damn <laughs> publishers and developers because he has so much information that's so reliable and he has it with such crazy timing. It's it's unreal. There was a tweet here that I saw. Uh, it was like, I can't find it right now, but it was like, what other video game company should we expect delays from? And he replied, all of them. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. we're going to get to this point now after Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out where... Barely squeezed out, by the way. Like, <laughs> Yeah, oh, people are already playing it in Australia. Yeah. Uh, also, for those listening, uh, if you hear this before uh, you see the new trailer for that remake, don't watch it. I haven't oh, watched I it. Apparently, it's super spoilery and bad. Uh, even for people who have played the original, because there's some twists that they reveal in it too, just avoid it at all costs. Typical Square Enix weird thing that they do with their games. Um, but we're going to enter this place, Dom, where we're probably going to be talking about our backlog for a while, I'd assume, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but I- I'm kind of actually happy about it, because I-, I do get a focus on those games. I just wonder... Yeah. <sighs> Ghost of Tsushima is the latest game we know... No, that's a lie, because Cyberpunk and all of those. Uh, I was going to say... Cy- you know, I guess my question would be: Do you think Ghost of Tsushima is the latest game dated that we would we could see move? I really don't see Cyberpunk moving. I I don't. Um, I I don't see world in which that game gets moved that late in the year. I mean, you can tell me I'm wrong when it happens. Uh, I just don't see a game that far out. Far out, man. I think Ghost of Tsushima is like the last one under the spotlight in terms of immediate repercussions for delays. I think you're right. I think Ghost, or, or sorry, uh, Cyberpunk will make it because, I mean, I'll, I'm, oh, I don't know what country are they in again. They're Poland. in Europe somewhere. Poland. Poland. I don't know what things are like there, but like in the United States, you know, we're projecting, uh, and it's actually who the heck actually knows how it will end up based on our administration. But we're, I'm hoping that I can get like back to working in my office by May. That seems to be kind of like the the, the idea. Yeah. Yeah, the safe assumption is May. The hard assumption is June, beginning of June. Right. So you say like, oh, this is a critical time for the development of that game, uh, and the you know the final like eight months or whatever. And so okay, for two or three of those months, everyone's working from home, so you probably lose some productivity there. But I think I think you're right, and like that's it's still got enough time where they should make it. uh, I would like to think that. But Ghost of Tsushima, I would bet a paycheck that that's getting delayed. The other one I wanted to ask you about, though, maybe it already did, and I don't remember, but uh, the Avengers game, the Crystal Dynamics game, that was supposed to be May, right? No, that got delayed a while back. That got delayed okay. like around the same time Cyberpunk did to fall. Okay, uh, so it's already a fall game. So then it's yeah. probably safe too. Okay. Uh, let me check. I might have the date. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull up the date real quick. Uh, Marvel's Avengers. Yeah, so that comes out September 4th currently. Cyberpunk, September 17th. Okay. So probably same thing. I would bet that um, uh, Avengers should be good too. But that was, I, and it was May though, so I wasn't crazy. I just missed the no. last delay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the thing too is, I, I could have sworn that when Cyberpunk delayed, they said something like, 
we're near completion of development. Like this is pretty much for polish to get the game where we want it to be at launch. Okay, um, cool. If I remember that correctly, I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, so that's all for Jason Schreier news. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about before we get into what we've been playing is the Phil Spencer IGN interview. So he had an interview over on IGN Unlocked, as well as IGN's weekly show called Next Gen Console Watch. Really cool, really good stuff. Hosted by Damon Hatfield, often features Ryan McCaffrey for Xbox and Jonathan Dornbush for PlayStation. Definitely check it out if you're interested in keeping up with the weekly news surrounding the next-gen consoles so in this exclusive interview with ign's ryan mccaffrey phil spencer provided plenty of interesting quotes in regards to the upcoming launch of their next generation console the xbox series x i'm going to go through some of those points after each one we'll talk about it because the cool thing is me and you both had an opportunity to listen to this thank you to work from home opportunities yeah. to be able to get all their podcast goodness uh off the top really solid interview uh phil spencer always amazes me at how you know down to earth and like chill he is uh he holds a pretty high position at microsoft generally people think he's just ahead of xbox but he's head of their whole gaming division uh like he's in charge yeah, like, of a whole lot <laughs> i mean his boss is the ceo of all microsoft so exactly satya nadella yeah so yeah. and he just seems like a chill dude like i'd love to go like get a sandwich with him somewhere you know i don't drink oh, yeah i'd say i go get a drink but i don't drink um go get a spritzer or something uh iced tea yeah, and I do like that he's self-aware, too, that he can often come off as PR because he is who he is, and he mentions that. He's like, you know, I'm going to come off like a PR guy here, but understand where I'm coming from. Like, he's very self-aware, which is nice. Um, I do hope PlayStation gets that type of person in the next generation. That's something I do think they're missing is, is a personality, and we've seen with Jim Ryan that's, that's not ne necessarily his... I still love how homeless he looked. Like at the beginning of the Mark Cerny presentation, he comes out, looks weird. all disheveled. <laughs> like, what yeah. the hell, dude? <laughs> so weird. Anyways, back to this interview. First bit, launch lineup. And these are all quotes from Phil Spencer, specifically from the interview. Launch lineup. For the momentum of the platform, it's not about any one day. It's about a sustained stream of great games coming from our first party and our third party partners. So this is in reference to Ryan McCaffrey asking about the launch lineup. And... Phil Spencer had an interesting comment where he said, this is going to sound weird, but I do think we made a mistake with the Xbox One launching with eight games on the same day. And that may sound odd because you're like, well, don't you want your launch lineup to be strong and have a lot of games there? But I, I, I love what he said, and it made sense to me of like, you want it to be a structured plan moving forward where you can build momentum. And that is an interesting point of like, instead of launching with eight games right away at launch right so you launch with four one of them being the killer app assumedly halo infinite in this position but then you have some of those other games come out maybe a month or two months after that console release you could possibly build momentum in a different way that we haven't seen with launches because often it's this initial drop at launch right of like eight games two of them being really good like three of them being good and then like the rest of them being like shovelware right but if you're able to build this this like chain of, of games and build this momentum and then come the, you know, we would say the spring of 2021, maybe the February, March, and you have another like first party exclusive lined up, you can kind of get a good cadence going and build into it instead of one giant drop where half of those games are just forgotten about. Like most people forget Zoo Tycoon was a launch title for Xbox One. Did you know that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It is a solid game. It's not a great game, but it's a solid game, right? Man, um, I'm with you, though, because when he first said that, like, we've had too many launch games. You don't want that. I, I was first like, what is he talking about? And then as he explained it, I was like, yeah, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Because, um, like, going back to the Switch, uh, 
they i think they perfected it right because they launched with the killer app in breath of the wild and then a couple of random indie games that no one on this planet could tell you what they were um but then two or three months later mario kart 8 you know huge sales on that that's like to keep the momentum going and then a couple months later it was super mario odyssey right so like and then from there we can keep going but they had a a cadence a rhythm of uh, every so many months like big first party games and then sprinkled in lots of indie games and then some third party games there too but all like spread out over a rhythm because yeah like he said like phil spencer said like you can't buy all eight games on the same day i mean you could but um that's not how most people are going to do it right yeah, and it's you want to like keep people engaged. Like, imagine if they launch with Halo Infinite, Rare's new game they teased, Everwild comes out in like the spring, and then Fable Four hits that fall. That's pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like a pretty good lineup. I mean, uh, even if I think Fable, like Fable Four, say like say it's spring, right? Yeah, um, that's great too. Exactly, and then what if it's Hellblade Two in the fall? You exactly. know what I mean? Late like in the fall, like. Yeah. It's an interesting point. It's something like we often talk about, like oh, the launch lineup needs to be good. In reality, it's like. If you have one good killer app and then support from third parties, kind of yeah. it, having that pace and having them come out at, at a good, you know, schedule is an interesting approach. And I wonder if that is their approach or like, especially with the economic circumstances currently, we're asking people to pay $500 and we'll get to the price later for a console. You get Halo Infinite, assumedly for free. You will if you have Game Pass. But we're also assuming it's going to come with the Game Pass subscription in the box, right? So you technically get Halo Infinite for free. Um asking people to pay for more games at that at that time is kind of like yeah um i mean you'll get then, your your call of duty for the year on there too and your your sports games your assassin's creed and then yeah you're mad and um but yeah after that it's like yeah you don't need to do too much right at launch I, i'm with it and then with their backwards compatibility and game pass it's like they don't mm-hmm. need all of those things you know what i mean it's not a necessity um so the next part with announcing games this one is pretty interesting and perked Myers straight up uh with more internal teams we'll be able to show things that are further out aaron greenberg xbox marketing manager and i were just doing the math with matt booty head of xbox game studios and trying to figure out what is the next show that we would have that we wouldn't be announcing a new game it's kind of hard for us to predict because we just have that many studios so with them having 15 or 16 studios now there's rumors that they're acquiring somebody the big rumors are Techland, the people who make uh, Dying Light, Ooh. and Moon Studios, Ori, obviously. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they acquire another studio, who knows. But what he's basically saying is, like, in the past they've worked with external teams, and with those external teams, it's less secure. So you kind of have to be more careful about things because they aren't owned by you. You don't have complete control over them. So, uh, you know, like with uh, Platinum, it's like they didn't have full control over Scalebound's development. So they realized that that kind of bit him in the butt when it came to announcing that game way too early, right? Because they didn't 100% have control over what was happening and the knowledge of the inner workings. With all these internal teams now, he's like, well, we know everything. We have, exa- we exactly know what's going to be happening so we can announce these games further on because we know where all of these development studios lay, right? And uh, it was a bit of a humble break for him to say, when we're looking at all the places yeah. where we could announce a new game, we don't see one in the far future where there won't, that won't happen. Uh, and he also added onto that quote of like, we'll come to a point where we're releasing games that we didn't announce. I was like, oh, okay. Because, and I understand the criticism, it's very valid, but at this point, I'm tired of every podcast being like, Xbox Series X is looking great, but at the end of the day, you gotta have games. It's like, well, yeah, no shit. I think Xbox by this time, this point, knows it. Phil Spencer has talked about the last couple of years of building the studios. It's just tired for me to hear that because it's like, 
at this point, it's like a known quantity, right? It's like beating a dead horse. It's like, of course they need games. Duh, it's a video game console. So it's just like, he, he goes into this further of talking about they have a plan that they want to execute. Um, but I do think it makes sense, though, with the internal teams and them laying them out. Because if they pace it correctly, like we talked about the last one, we could see them matching up and having these big tentpole games. And then in between them having the bleeding edges and the, uh, what's the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids game? Grounded? Like those smaller oh, yeah. titles in between. Um, and that'll be that could set them apart from PlayStation in a sense because PlayStation does a really good job with the major AAA titles, undoubtedly. But they don't really have the like the 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 middle titles all too often, like the lower budget ones, right? They haven't been there, but I don't have the evidence right now to 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 back myself up, but they do. Um, I was reading a post uh, someone made about like, yeah, not only does PlayStation have like, you know, all the, because one of the criticisms about PlayStation's games is like, oh, another third person action adventure RPG or whatever, or, you know what I mean? Um, but then the counter was like, someone posted like this, this whole list of like, PlayStation also has all these other smaller exclusives that they partner with. Um, and a lot of them, I didn't even, I didn't even realize. And there's one well, keyword there, partner with, right? So the, I'm talking about owned. Oh, own, yeah, no, yeah. Like, so exclusive, but not usually owned, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm sorry, I was specifically talking about because Grounded is by Obsidian, who's owned, right? And then, oh, uh, I didn't even know that was theirs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Obsidian is owned by them, and then uh, uh, Bleeding Edge is obviously um, the Hellblade Studio. Dang it, Ninja Theory. State, right? State of Decay Two is another good one. Yeah, that's a little bigger, it, maybe. I don't know. Because like PlayStation had a uh, Concrete Genie, right, by Pixel Opus, but they don't own Pixel Opus. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so all those examples that they have, yeah, are not, like, they're, they're just partnered. They're, like, you know, those bought exclusives or whatever. Yeah, which is it's still good. I'm not trying to bash PlayStation, but, yeah, that was kind of my point. I kind of, yeah, wasn't wasn't super clear there. Sorry about that. Um, speaking of, though, those indie partnerships, right? He went on to say, our first-party organization works with independent studios to ship games under our first-party brand. I'm clarifying here. So this is like a uh, cuphead or Ori and the will of the wisps, right? Studios they don't own, but they partner with for exclusivity. And we have unannounced signed things that, uh, there that we really are excited about. And those teams really found a rhythm in terms of how they're working on these games and getting the quality and shipping. So I'll just say that you're going to hear a lot for, more from us in the game space. I know I've been saying that for a while, but it's just the math now says that we have to announce things almost every time we're on stage, new things. Otherwise, we're going to be shipping games without ever announcing them. So that's the quote I was talking about earlier. Yeah. No, he's, um, like you said, like everyone's, you know, he knows that, yeah, they need to get more games and they've been doing it. And, but it's a, it's a large ship that you can't just turn on a dime, right? And they've been building this uh, for years now. So, and he mentioned like, you know, like, you're going to start, you guys are going to start to see this and you're going to, you know, it's going to be cool. It's like, it feels very much like, like a grandmaster plan that's been in the work for decades. Like this, like he's like the emperor Palpatine right now, except in a, in a good way. And he's not a like, clone. Yeah. It, right. He's been planning this shit for a while. And like, it's been all been <clears throat> driving in one direction <clears throat> and it's going to start paying off pretty soon here. And it's going to be sweet. Well, the interesting couple of things to add in, including here were, one, when he talked about, he hates hearing the quote that like, oh, they finally got people that know how to design consoles working on the Xbox One S and the X, uh, because he said it was the same team that made the original Xbox One, right, the VCR. And he mentioned that it was a poor corporate planning. So f assuming that means that like when they were building the Xbox One, the 
the corporate heads, including Don Matrick, like didn't plan it out accordingly and gave their engineering team like a really bad timeline to develop that console, which kind of sucks. And he's saying it's literally the same team. I just gave them time because we know they've been working on it since what 2016, right? Um, better management then, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the the games thing he. He talks about how uh, in that interview as well, I don't know if you caught it, when he said the Digital Foundry and Austin Evans hands-on that they did, right, when they went into the studio and, like, messed with the console. He said they specifically did that to get that stuff out of the way to make room for their path towards game announcements. Um, mm-hmm. And he even talked about how they, if it was, if this whole thing started, the pandemic started, like, four or five days later, they wouldn't have had that. Um, right. Like, they barely, it happened, like, they brought them in, like, the moment like Seattle and all these other major cities are starting to like, hey, no more flying. So they could barely made it I, under. I want to say, and, I, and it probably it was just a rumor. It's obviously nothing official, but like there was something going around that Sony was going to do something similar, but then they like canceled some shit because they wanted to do some more hands-on PS5 stuff. I, who knows if that's true or not. Um, but. Yeah, it was, it was a rumor floating on Twitter. It was never corroborated by the Jason yeah. Shire, anybody of like notoriety. So I don't, so I don't know. Knows, yeah. yeah. It is plausible, though, right, given the circumstances. Uh, Next up, price. Um, He said, I feel good about the price we're going to be able to get to. I feel good about the price and the performance capabilities that we have for Series X. I feel incredibly strong about the overall package. I believe we have a plan that can win. Now we have to go and execute. This is talking about your grand plan, right? Um, To me, he also talked about the flexibility of the price and how he specifically mentioned Microsoft's backing us strong. Like Satya Nadella believes in us. He's kind of giving us the green light. And he he mentioned the word flexibility too when it came to price. So my assumption is, and this is just me, this wasn't talked about with him. I think the price will probably be 500, but I do think if they see PlayStation aggressively price the PS5, they may may be willing to match that and aggressively price as well. Um, because he mentioned the flexibility and understanding that price is such a factor. And he even went as far as to say that he thinks that was a large part in Xbox's trouble at launch, right? The Xbox One, on top of the poor messaging in terms of TV, 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 he talked about how the price hurt him. You know, being $100 more at launch really killed them out of the gate. Um, Yeah, what did you think about his comments in terms of the price? Yeah, I kind of got, like, mixed messaging. He was good at saying a lot, um, where, like, like you mentioned, yep, we have good backing from our leadership at Microsoft, which kind of implies, like, we can go low if we need to, right? Um, but then he, when he also says things about, he, like, in the same sentence, like, bragging about, like, we feel good about the power we're providing and the package we're providing. Basically, it sounds more like it's a good value. So if it's 500 it's, you know, it's freaking powerful for 500 Or even if it is, you know, a bit a bit more expensive than the competition it's a lot more powerful kind of a thing is yeah like what i heard from him so like they're not going to get beat on the price performance ratio to me is what he said like with without a doubt um if it's going to be more expensive then it's going to be more than worth the little bit extra you might pay that's kind of what i got from it. and that's thing that sucked with the xbox one is not only was it a hundred dollars more it was weaker like it didn't right. did put out right. the same that playstation 4 did uh and lastly speaking of the playstation 5 he said, I feel really good about how Xbox Series X lines up with the PS5. It's impressive. We like that. We saw the work that they did with the PS5, but we took a holistic view on our platform from CPU to GPU to RAM, the velocity architecture, latency, back compat. It took us years to get to this point. When we finally saw the public disclosure of the PS5, I felt even better about the choices we made on our platform. I expected that I would. 
humble brag. <laughs> and that's that, and that's part of what went to my Emperor Palpatine comment where he was like, specifically around back and Pat, because I think we can kind of like infer from what we've seen from Sony so far, like they were late to the back and Pat game and now they're trying to catch up. And so then when they, then they, that, that caused them to fumble their messaging of like, yeah. well, we're still testing all of them, but you know, it's going to be cool. Whereas Xbox has been doing this and they've had their shit tested and they're, they're on, they're on top of that. Um, the back and pat stuff right so it's not it's not a problem right now for them so they have that advantage obviously well and even if you're matching up i know they're not the same thing but so xbox one x has dolby atmos right and playstation mark Cerny specifically was touting 3d audio moving into next gen and it's cool and it's idea they're working on it still seems like they're in the early stages of figuring that out from what he talked about right they're testing and figuring it out they seem like they're behind on that a little bit too because the xbox one x already has dolby atmos support so it is a little bit of a catch-up even though they are different technologies when it comes to audio right and there have been some comments i've seen some conjecture online of like playstation has underestimated xbox in terms of the hardware they're going to be producing and it, they seem to have been caught off guard obviously who knows none of this is confirmed it's all yada 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 but it is interesting because though the ssd is twice as a little less than twice as fast right for playstation the, the the holistic approach for xbox with the gpu cpu and ram all running stabilized at these high measurements that's one thing people tend to forget with the playstation 5 stuff is most of the numbers they were touting is like overclocked it's like running at maximum capacity right. whereas with xbox these are all like no streamlined numbers which is going to be I wonder how developers approach that, right? Of like, what is better for you? Being able to get the most out of it or being able to know what you're getting out of it. And that's what we talked about in previous episodes of like, the SSD is really fast. Is it only going to be beneficial to the first parties, right? Because they have the hardware and they're only focusing on that hardware and they can make the most out of the overclocked stuff, which is great because obviously PlayStation rides and dies on its exclusives. But will that kind of deter third parties and would will their preferred platform of development be the xbox series x right because that's what we see as developers kind of choose the the platform they enjoy developing on because of how easy it is right in terms of approach and getting your game running on it and then they tend to port to the one they're not not super thrilled with developing on so i'm just curious of like will the holistic approach make that easier and the more wanted destination for developers or will the ability to get the maximum output like how is that going to affect developers approach you know what do you think yeah there's i've been trying to like un, like under the past like two weeks right since the all other reveals especially the ps5 stuff try to understand better like comparing the two and it's been tough especially tough to sift through the garbage um one of the things i I'm, like f fell back on was um kind of what we, what you were just saying where yep the ssd and that ps5 is sweet but third-party game studios might not like fully take advantage of it because like they're they're they can't on on the other system right so it might be you know third-party games it might not be a difference right at the end of the day um and then same thing on like uh cpu and gpu power certainly as far as like design choices for third-party games they're going to be the same um i i can't imagine you're going to see like multiplayer modes on one console that can have more players than on the other time kind of a thing right you're probably going to see like similar to how we had on ps4 xbox one well on this console the game runs at 1080p on this one it runs at 900p right except yeah. everything on these new ones is all going to be in 4k pretty much right um 
so, and probably the frame rates are going to be pretty good on both too. So you're thinking like, so maybe one version has like some extra textures kind of a thing or like what, what more can they get out of, you know, that extra uh, headway they have, I guess, when you're, I don't know. Um, but then the, the Austin Edmonds videos are really good. Um, and one of the things he mentioned was that the, while there is a large power gap between them, um, apparently it's not as large as it was between PS4 and Xbox One, which sounds crazy to me because that wasn't very large. But then he also said it was like Series X is 20% more powerful than PS5. I couldn't decipher it because he said that in the same video. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> 20% sounds like a lot. 20% sounds, it doesn't sound like less than the difference between PS4 and Xbox One, right? Because those are like, they were pretty darn close, like effectively. Yeah. You're, you're going to look at the screen and tell me you can tell the difference between 900p and 1080p. I guess cool, congrats, dude. man. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Whatever. Um, I think it matters. Like the mo- the biggest thing is going to be like the the price to performance ratio. I think it's like yeah. Well, because at the end of the day, I, aside from first party games, obviously those are kind of always the the unique parts of this conversation. Because you can be like, oh yeah, The Last of Us Three, you know, looks is way looks better than any of the Microsoft first party games or whatever you say. And, but they're different games, so it kind of doesn't. It's it's a different conversation when you get into that, really. That and comparing hardware, but it doesn't matter because it's different games, I guess. I don't. And I'm gonna sound like a fanboy for this, but whatever. Uh, like you just said, you're gonna sound like a fanboy. It, you say anything about one console over the other, immediately you're like a diehard fan for that console. Obviously, you prefer PlayStation. I prefer Xbox. Whatever. Get over it, people. Anyways, uh, with the PlayStation stuff and it being overclocked. I do think that we won't really see a difference in terms of uh, like visual fidelity that much, right? Uh, like obviously Xbox will look better because of what it's packing, but it won't be substantially different, right? My worry comes from if it's not like stable, because that's a big difference we're seeing here between the two is Xbox One for stable across the board. You know what you're getting, the specific numbers. You can try to overclock for stuff, but you know baseline, right? Whereas if you even notice in the Mark Cerny presentation, they were touting all of the overclocked numbers, right? They weren't touting like the baseline stuff, the the stuff you can guarantee. And my worry is if developers, and this is just assuming, say the developers choose to develop on the Xbox Series X as their main priority first, and they have those, you know, the, exactly the numbers they're getting. And then when they go to port to the PlayStation, how difficult will it be to get it running stably at like what PlayStation wants from a third party game of like, no, we want you to take advantage of this stuff. And then what if the developers are like, well, all your stuff's getting overclocked and it's ruining our game performance. Like the bugs and the weird glitches and those type of issues, not necessarily visual fidelity, but performance. That's what I'm interested to see in terms of how it adapts with developers choosing one platform over the other, because they are completely different approaches to something right which is it's because playstation has a weaker gpu and cpu than the xbox right straight out uh it has a better ssd but because it has those weaker parts it needs to overclock to get close to that it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out i just want to see more from playstation 2 period of like what features are they offering like uh what are you know i don't know it just the picture isn't super clear right now because we don't have all the information from both parties so we kind of have to assume and like you said, PlayStation is behind in some aspects, so they're 
kind of muddling the message when they don't need to. <laughs> you know, the whole backwards compat thing was so odd. You could have made that so clear as day. Yeah. yeah. Even, even with them yeah, being behind the ball uh, on getting those games tested or whatever, they still could have been messaged better. <laughs> yeah. What I will say, though, as somebody who prefers Xbox, I'm glad it feels coming on being as confident as he is. Um, because I'd rather have that than him being afraid or worried right not that playstation is doing that by any means but in terms of like a leadership position the last thing i'd want is for somebody to be like yeah we're we're we're, we're doing good we're looking at it but he's like we saw that and i feel more confident than ever just like you know patting out his chest and it, the games matter like we said before if xbox is able to come out and show some really amazing games like fable floor blows us away all these titles x uh, halo infinite is what we expect it to be and hopefully matches that mark they'll be in a good place if they can match on the games because once that argument is away they have all of the services and all of this other stuff to really run away with it it's just the games are the big question you know what i mean so and i think uh like at the end of the day um like we're we were talking about like yeah, certain advantages on different sides and there's a lot yet to be seen but like i think like we're poised like they're gonna this is gonna be a tighter uh race so yeah whatever you want to call it right um which i think is cool and more exciting that like i I, any prediction i think anyone would say like they're probably gonna be pretty close like sales wise um throughout i would bet right just because they i don't know they're they're both mature in what they're doing here now and they've made mistakes and know what to do and what not to do and you know different things going on but I, i still think like the advantages are starting to advantages and disadvantages are starting to level off. They're, they're getting close. So it's like, it's exciting to kind of picture this closer uh, console race here. Well, so the current console race, we assume it's close to one to three, right? There's like 115 PS4s or something. And we assume around 40 million uh, Xbox ones, right? Relatively. There's a, in my opinion, there's a 0% chance that ratio is the same this next gen. Oh, definitely not. Uh, being, the safe bet is I think Sony will sell more just because having an install base moving to the next console generation, you're going to have a little bit of an advantage. But yeah, I, I could see, you know, five years from now, it being 60-40 PlayStation, which is really good for Xbox because... We're talking about yeah. specifically Xbox owners. We're not talking about the platform and xCloud and all of this other stuff, right? So if they're even in breathing distance, I think Xbox has the advantage there because their platform is more than just a console, right? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. don't think they're planning on selling more Xboxes than PlayStation. They want that to be close because then that that uh, a rising tide uh, raises all ships, right? So then all of their other services and everything get a boost from that. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out. That's it for the news, though. Let's talk about what we've been playing. First off, we'll start with Animal Crossing. I've uh, been playing a yeah. ton of Animal Crossing. So much Animal Crossing. Uh, it's everything. I guess, yeah, we didn't have a chance to talk about it last week. It's I know, I've been wanted. waiting to have this conversation. <laughs> it's everything I've wanted and more. Uh, my uh, experiences with it won't be that interesting as somebody who's like loved Animal Crossing. I'm kind of more curious to hear you as somebody who was... I remember bashing maybe too strong of a word, but you were pretty... Uh, dismissive of this game when it was yeah. originally revealed. Dismissive is, is the right word, probably. Yeah. Uh, it's everything I've wanted. I love a lot of stuff. It has a lot of Nintendo online issues where, like, if you go to somebody's island, you can't really maneuver stuff on your island or you can't really, you know, 
change things too much. You have to like leave somebody's island, go back to your island to go to somebody else's island. Um, a lot of weird, like outdated Nintendo stuff that it sucks. It's in this Animal Crossing game, but it's like it's something you expect in Nintendo games in general, which kind of sucks at this point. Um, I'm not really time manipulating at all. Uh, the only time I time traveled was like the first couple of days of the game when I just wanted to get the museum established. I don't have all of these like bugs and fish sitting outside in their cages, you know what I mean, waiting for the museum to be built. Other than that, though, I've been doing everything pretty quote-unquote legit. Uh, yeah, having a blast with it, but I want to hear your opinion on it. Well, I mean, it's Animal Crossing, and uh, yeah, I was dismissive because I was like, I don't understand what this is about. Like most, like a lot of people who've never played it have the same thing. Like, what do you do and why do you do it, right? Um, I watched like a Let's Play for like an hour um, before the game came out, and I was like, yeah. That was, I, I think I get it. Um, and the other part I didn't get from watching the, the, like some of the first trailers was like, it's New Horizons or whatever, and like you walk three feet and all of a sudden you're like on a globe that's turning. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it best. But you know what I mean. Everyone who's seen the gameplay knows what I mean. And that just was always weird to me. And I just was like nauseated by, by that. But um, <laughs> I quick, like as soon as I started watching that actual Let's Play and like, Okay, but you walk around and like it's actually a large map. Um, that then it appears when, when you can only see two trees on the screen at a time. But you walk, it's there's more to it than I had initially realized. Um, yeah, but yeah, I've been playing and it's been it's just been nice. I have, um, I, I just got a shop built. It took me a long time to get all the iron nuggets because I could only get a couple each day. Oh, <laughs> Timmy and Tommy, the two but, little. The- the two little uh, raccoons, their shop. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. they helped me build the shop, but they yeah. needed thirty iron nuggets, which I was like, I have like four rocks on my island, and each one gives me like one iron nugget a day. So yeah. I, it took me forever. Plus, I want to build better tools, so I need iron nuggets. It took me forever, but now I finally got the shop going, um, which is about where I'm at now. So I'm still like kind of, I'm behind most people. I see a lot of like screenshots, and people have like decked out awesome villages, and I'm like, whoa. It, I need you to come to my island so you can check it out. We haven't done that yet. We haven't visited each other. Uh, we're playing this obviously at different paces. I'm playing to somebody who kind of knows the inner workings of Animal Crossing and how you know everything runs. You're obviously somebody new, so you're taking it a lot slower, which is cool. Um, do you have? I'm assuming you don't have any of the fruits outside of your natural fruit, right? Your native fruit. What is your native fruit to your island? I have pears. Um, I went to pears. one other island with like a, a flight ticket or whatever, um, and I got some peaches. But, but they're gone now. <laughs> <laughs> I I have all the fruits on my island. So whenever I do visit, I'll bring them over and you can make your own orchard. So can you plant? Like if I were, should, should I have planted some of those peaches when I brought them back or something? Yeah. So the reason you want those, you probably already know, is that those sell for more than your own. See, I just sold all of them. I should have put, I should have planted some. Okay. Yeah. You, you should plant them. Uh, uh, when you do the Nook Miles ticket, you can go to islands that sometimes have coconut trees. You can plant those on your own island on, like, the beach, which are pretty cool. Uh, there's another source for, like, wood, and then the coconuts function as fruits as well. And then there's bamboo you can find, which is new to me. There wasn't bamboo in the mm-hmm. uh, GameCube version of Animal Crossing. The cool thing with this game, too, is it makes more sense in terms of how it functions as an island because in old uh, Animal Crossing games, the way it worked is, like, the way your map was structured, how you couldn't get outside of it, is there was a giant towering, like, walls of dirt on the left and right. There was a train at the top of it, right, like a train track. And then at the bottom, there was the beach that you could fish in. So... 
that's how they cut off the map and made the size for it. Whereas this one makes more sense of like, well, you're on an island. That's why you can't go any farther north or east or west, right? I've been I've been super enjoying it. <clears throat> I've only been playing like I, this. I, the first couple of days I was like a couple hours a day, but now I'm at the point where like after like an hour, I'm like, well, there's not really anything left to do. I need to wait till tomorrow, kind of a thing. Um, <clears throat> which is kind of like what I had realized going in, like was going to be what I like about this game is that it's made to be played over years and the content is like parsed out. Um, yep. Kind of like we just talked about first party games need to be parsed out on a console. Yep. Um, but so I'm excited that like, this is a game I'm going to be playing bit and bit, you know, for several years, um, which I think is cool because it's a, a different in, than in like a, than like an MMO or like a destiny type game where it's just like end game content. It's not like that. This is like yeah. the actual progression is just really spread out, but still satisfying because it's, it's just a really unique uh, progression system and how they have it set up. I'm, I'm digging it. So. And the cool thing too is like when you get to the holidays, the bunny day thing kind of is like whatever, but like uh, Halloween and Christmas, like the big holidays, they're so cool in this game. Uh, just mm. the, the stuff that they implement in it. And I'm talking about from like when I played on the GameCube, right? I don't know how they're going to change things up for – for uh, you know okay. a, a modern version of this game, but they're really fun and like you said, it's it's a game that you can piecemeal out and play ever so often. One tip I will give you too is only three new weeds grow a day on your on your island. So like if you take if you pluck the weeds, you don't have to worry You're about late. like going crazy. If you huh? You're late. I already pulled all my damn weeds, and now I luckily I did that before I went like cross the river finally. So I still have yeah. a lot of weeds on the other side, but the, my whole first part of my Island void of weeds and I can't get them to grow back. No, that's good. You don't want weeds. Uh, at least I don't want weeds. Uh, oh. But you, you can grab weeds from other islands too. And you visit with the Nook mouse ticket. I was just saying like, if you do the OCD thing, like I mean, you clear your Island of weeds, you know, it's not like a crazy upkeep where like, Oh, I don't log in for two days. My Island is full of weeds again. It's like two or three grow a day, so it's like manageable. It's not like a you actually don't have to worry about. I spent all this time, and then I missed a day, and it's for nothing, right? Um, yeah, I, I really want you to visit my island, and I want to visit yours because it, we do have different approaches to playing this game as somebody who hasn't really played it at all, right? It's cool that you jumped in though. It's it's a good game for the current situation we're in. <laughs> it's, it's just nice. Yeah. Um, Next up, I guess I'll get to some of the games. I want to talk about RE3 Remake Demo with you like last since we both played that. Yes. Uh, so we start with Animal Crossing, Pokemon Sword and Shield, still shiny hunting. By the way, Dom, finally got my black Charizard. Super dope. Definitely worth the cool. grind. Yeah, super cool. Um, what else? Uh, oh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. I completed the game. Love it. Uh, there are some performance bugs I had with it. Uh I attribute that more to me because there was a day one patch that fixed a lot of the issues people had. I attribute the bugs I had more so to the fact that I still have an OG Xbox One, um, but they didn't deter from the game itself. It's everything you expect from an Ori sequel. It's beautiful. The puzzle elements for the Metroidvania parts were great. Uh, there's a bigger focus on combat in this game, and you can kind of customize your combat with certain abilities that you like. Uh, I, I preferred like this big hammer type move that was more powerful, but a little bit slower. There's combat challenges, Dom, like specific areas where it kind of like closes you off and you have to uh, kill waves of enemies to get a reward, which is another item slot to equip your shards, which should sound familiar because that's exactly what Hollow Knight did. This game basically took what Ori was, injected the best parts of what Hollow Knight did, and was like, here's an Ori sequel. 
You know what I mean? So it's like it's exactly everything you wanted. Um, I hope it has DLC. A very emotional game, as emotional if not more than the original. It's just like a Pixar film. Uh, the story is more interesting than I thought it was going to be. be. Not that I didn't enjoy the story, but a lot of times these indie games take a narrative approach that has been done many times before, right? Because it's safe storytelling, right? You don't really take risks. This game seems like it's going in one direction, and then it curves right at the last moment in the best way possible. Um, have you played either of the Ori games? No, that's what I was saying a few weeks ago. I still I still want to play the first one because I never got to it. it. They're worth a play. I think now when we're going to enter the spot where... Are you getting Final Fantasy VII Remake? Ooh, you know, and that was a conversation we missed, but I played that demo, and all of a sudden I was like, this is cool. Same. I hadn't been there before. Like, <laughs> the same. The demo was sweet. <laughs> and I, I would love for us to play it because neither of us have experience with the original. Um, yeah. And my plan is I want to play this game and then play the original afterwards. I know people are doing the opposite of that, but I kind of want to do it in reverse. Um, because I want to see those moments in, you know, in full 3D, beautiful, <laughs> rendered uh, cutscenes. Um, I, I, yeah, I suggest playing Ori when you get a chance. They're incredible games some of my favorite of the generation i really hope moon studios either partners with microsoft again or gets acquired because they're there for it being like remote workers even before this whole pandemic like working in different parts of the world bringing together this game it's a feat like i don't know how they did it um let's hear from you i want to hear control and jackbox and then we can finish with our re3 remake demo impressions uh yeah so jackbox party pack you can play over a zoom meeting and it was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, only one person has to own the game, you know, on their PC, and then you just start up a meeting and share your screen, and um, it's pretty fun. Played a little uh, Quiplash and Fibbage, um, TKO. So just did that with some family. So that's obviously a cool thing to do um, while we're all kind of stuck at home. I uh, had only played Jackbox games uh, a few times before, and so it was cool to see like it works pretty well uh, remotely, so long as your internet is uh, up for it, but. Yeah, a lot of fun there. Uh, Control uh, is newly on PlayStation Now. So I fired up a free seven-day trial of PlayStation Now. <laughs> and uh, and now I'm, I got like two missions left in Control, so I'm actually almost done with it. Um, it's been fantastic. Um, the gameplay is cool, which I expected. Um, but I didn't realize, uh, I guess I hadn't looked closely enough or listened closely enough when you guys, when you and uh, Jordan were talking about it, but... Uh, I didn't realize how like the aesthetic was so spooky and creepy, um, yeah. and uh, and it reminds me a lot of Alan Wake in a lot of ways. Um, uh, just just with more you know crazy engaging combat really, um, and I like what it's doing. The the story is pretty cool, and I don't know. It's just the whole vibe of it. I didn't realize it's almost you could almost call it a horror game or a suspense game. Um, I think, but been having a lot of fun with that the past couple days so uh, i'm like this is gonna like retroactively make it into like you know the top five of my game game of the years last year like it's 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 i'm really into it so it's weird in all the right ways too like it's like oh I, this is like european weirdness i dig it like the whole stuff with the janitor is really cool like just oh, so bizarre yeah uh, i love like the items of power like some of them are like this is weird why what and then some of them are like oh, it's just creepy. a tv yeah. Or just a random object, yeah. Performances then, are great. Uh, Jesse's brother, I forget oh, yeah. his name in the game, but that performance is incredible. The Doctor, even Jesse herself, like, oh, such a good game. Remedy, shout out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm excited for uh, Remedy's next stuff now that now that we know they have a, a big publisher backing them, right? Oh. Epic. So, speaking of Alan Wake, apparently one of the DLCs is supposed to either like interact directly with Alan Wake or feature Alan Wake in some capacity. Man, I just uh, just it was today or yesterday when I was playing. I found the Easter egg of Alan Wake. You find oh, yeah. an audio, a video log or whatever of, uh, of him, and I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Was, There's an Easter egg of Alan that. Wake in uh, Quantum Break. So whenever you get oh, around nice. to that game, it's really cool. Yeah, nice. I like how they intermingle that stuff. They're they're a really underrated developer, man. Uh, I'm glad yeah. they signed that partnership with Epic because it gives them some financial security. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if they go back to Alan Wake at some point. I hope I they hope do. So. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. I like it's it's such a it's good dope. game. Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. <laughs> yeah, the audio design in that game too incredible. The art design like. Oh, the I love the motel sequences. Yes. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll finish with the RE3 remake demo. So I enjoyed it. I watched some other people play the demo after I did, and I realized that, like, spoilers if you haven't played the demo, I guess. Uh, you know, towards the end uh, when Nemesis, like, appears, right? I guess you're intended to run past him and to the right, I guess is the intended way to do it because there's some other stuff you can do after the fact. Fuck. I, no, no, I, it, I there's just passed no way, him and went immediately to the fire hose and put the, fu- <laughs> the, the fire hydrant and put the fire hose on. Yeah, me too. Because I yeah. tried three goddamn times to run directly at and past him and off back to, but no, you had to go left. I don't believe anything otherwise. That's funny. Um, <laughs> obviously it's like a very short demo. I beat it in like 22 or 23 minutes or something. You're probably the same. It was was really cool. I love that we're back in a space of demos because it lets me try games. Here's the thing real quick. This is kind of veering off from us playing it and more so into, and we'll talk about our specific impressions of it. But I was, after the demo, I was like, oh, I know how much people loved RE2. I'm definitely going to probably pick up this game day one because of, we're seeing that we're not going to be having any new games for a while. So I'm like down to jump into this, right? Then the reviews came out, and they were pretty mixed. It's like, oh, it's a good game. If you enjoyed RE2, you'll probably like it, but it's not as good. And then I heard it's only six hours, and I was like, it's a tough pill to swallow, especially currently of, like, paying 60 bucks for a six-hour experience. And unlike RE2 Remake, it doesn't seem to have any replay potential, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, with RE2, you can play through as uh, either of the characters. So I made the call that i'm going to pick up this game at a later date probably on sale around halloween it'll be my halloween game but i was like you know what playing that demo i really want to play re2 remake i never played it i had watched somebody play it when the game came out initially and it had been something i wanted to pick up forever it's like 20 bucks right now so yeah yeah so i pulled the trigger i got that and you'll never guess the other game i bought because it was on sale it's a nintendo i already own persona 5 uh oh oh, yeah 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 it's a Nintendo property that finally came to Xbox, one of their most popular properties. It's the character's name. He's an attorney. Phoenix Wright? You know the Phoenix Wright games? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I thought that was only on, like, yeah. 3DS. <laughs> the Phoenix Wright trilogy came to Xbox, and I think PlayStation okay. last year, or two years ago. Oh, shit. Okay. It was on sale for 15 bucks, and it's a series I'd always wanted to get into. I'm and I'm like, well, I have the... Curious to see what you say about this. 
yeah, I'm really interested. It was 15 bucks, man. Low low price of entry for three games. I'm like, I'll do it. I've been wanting to do it. It was one of those impulse buys I wanted to make. Also purchase Anthem for eight bucks, <laughs> just because I'm like, if this gets to a No Man's Sky place, paying eight bucks for this thing doesn't. It's not bad. Like it's a good value, right? Um, and because that game was so poorly received, I hope EA does the thing where like we're dropping this game-changing update people already own it it's a free update so i'm like if i already own it then <laughs> you know what i mean one of those things so didn't spend too much was that like 43 bucks for all three games um but yeah i can't wait to get to re2 remake after i finish doom eternal which i currently have but i haven't gotten to yet and then uh final fantasy 7 remake which is a day one purchase for me so uh in terms of the re3 remake demo uh, still has the issue I thought RE2 Remake has, which is like a Resident Evil staple where it just seems like it takes too much ammunition for to kill zombies. Uh, at least in RE2 Remake, it seems like the knife did a decent job at finishing off kills, whereas in the RE3 demo, it just was useless. I, I, I just found no point in even using it. Might as well just waste ammunition, right? And uh, I love the exploration. Had, had a lot of that in it. Had some neat jump scares. I love that when you come down through the, the you know, the room with the safe in it. When you come down in a staircase and you get everything and you get the, the, the bolt cutters and you go back up, the lady's gone. And she's obviously the one on the inside pushing the door so you can't open it. So you're forced yeah. to go back down yep. through to the, what is it, a diner or something? I think it's a diner. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you obviously run into Nemesis. I liked it. Here's the thing. Even despite the poor reviews, I shouldn't say poor mixed reviews by people, the demo sold me enough that I want to get this game in October when it's price reduced. If this game didn't have the six hour runtime or if it had better replayability, I would have probably picked this up closer to its release date. Like I'm sold on it. It's just a matter of the value of the game, right? So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, I had a lot of fun with the demo too. It was short. Um, and then, um, I mean, yeah, it was a lot like it was a lot like Resident Evil Two Remake. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm ready. I got it. It's already uh, preloaded, or uh, you put the disc in, and it still has to download. Uh, whatever from the disc, but anyway. Oh, you got it physically. Seems... Yeah, which is I'm gonna get to that in a second. Um, okay. <laughs> but they they definitely are leaning on uh, that like multiplayer mode that they're including. Um, they definitely recognize like, yeah, this one's a bit shorter than RE Two Remake, and we didn't have like a, a re you can't replay again with a different character kind of thing. So they made that uh, resistance mode or whatever, yeah. um, which I don't think uh, I've not heard great things about it. Um, I'm probably not going to even. A lot of people don't even get to play because the servers are having issues from what I saw. Yeah. Right. So it seems like that was kind of a miscalculation for them where they, they kind of seemed like they hoped that would fill the gap um, with the short campaign. Um, but I'm not too worried about it. I mean, it was like, it was already cheap. It was like 50 bucks uh, on Amazon. Right. So um and amidst all this, it showed up on release day for me, um, even though it's definitely wow. not an essential item. Can't explain it. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's 50, we're, we're going to play through it this weekend, uh, no problem. And then I'll probably uh, ditch it uh, secondhand for like 30 bucks um, or something like that. That's kind of, that's where my train of thought is as far as a uh, uh, solution to kind of the, the price and i buy games all digital so that's like my hang up with it you know i'm more of a digital mm -hmm. person uh, yeah. but if i was more physical yeah completely turn around and sell that thing one mm -hmm. thing that's cool too is this game canonically takes place before re2 remake 
and there's some stuff you find out in this game. I'm not going to spoil it for you since you're playing it right away, but I watched a video by Game Explain, and there's events that happen in this game that directly lead to stuff you see in RE2 Remake that didn't happen the same way with the original two releases of these games. So that's really cool. Uh, remember that these games were initially rumored to like come in a package and like things got mixed up, remember? That's why they're releasing a year apart. So I wonder okay. if that's the initial plan was to package them because packaged, hell yeah, it's a hell of a value, right? Um, but then, yeah, they had to scramble to do this resistance mode and attach it to it. So anyways, that's it for this week's episode. Next week, you'll hear my thoughts on Doom Eternal and you'll hear both of our thoughts on Animal Crossing and Dom's thoughts on RE3 Remake as well. Amongst all the other stuff we play now in quarantine, I can't wait to see how you feel about the ashtray maze in Control, which is like one of my favorite things I've ever experienced in gaming. It's the like it's the culmination of that game. So good. Mm. Uh, and I, as somebody who loved the Doom 2016 soundtrack, you're going to dig it. Uh, oh, a little tease there. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys for listening to episode 183. Next week we'll be back. We're planning on having a guest, but... In the current situation, and you never never know what's going to happen from week to week, so we'll see what happens there. Catch you guys next time. Play plenty of games in this uh, crazy time we're in. See you guys next time. Bye.